This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to the mini break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, March 29th. This is one of two Monday, March 29th podcasts available for all of you listeners. On the first episode, I recapped all of Sunday and Saturday's action at the Miami Open. There were so many fantastic round of 32, round of 64 matches to discuss. They were worthy of their own podcast. And could I have blended the two into one episode? Probably, but A, that episode would have probably gone over an hour. B, Super Producer Daniel Westhoff says it's better for us if we divide that content into two episodes. So a second Monday, March 29th mini break podcast for all of you. Of course, on this show, I'm going to recap Monday's matches at the Miami Open. As always, I want to remind all of you, we're going to be saving the Challenger Tour content. We're going to be saving the college tennis talks for our Great Shot podcast feed. David Gertler, Chris Halioris, Matt Stokowiak, our team of Cracked Rackets contributors going to join me on those pods later in the week to discuss all of that action. It's just going to be me today on this mini break podcast recapping all of the Monday Miami Open matches. That's a nice little alliteration for words for you. Monday's Miami Open matches, but uh, three, whatever. Anyways, the point being, leave that all of that in West stuff. I'm going to have some guests on this mini break podcast later in the week. I know all of you listeners will enjoy hearing from them, but again, just to play a little bit of catch up, reset everything so that we are ready to go here in week two of the Miami Open. I want to catch all of you up on all of Monday's action. Of course, the reason I'm able to do that day in, day out here on the Mini Break Podcast is because of the incredible support we get from you listeners, the support we get from our Patreon family, and of course, the support we get from our friends at Midwest Sports. Go to MidwestSports.com, use the promo code CR15 to get 15% off your order free. Two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson extra duty tennis balls midwestsports.com the promo code as always is cr15 you'll let them know we sent you there and again we are so grateful for their continued support the least we can ask you to do is support them as well midwestsports.com the promo code is cr15 with that in mind let's start with the women Because I suppose this is a pun, but it's also going to serve as the title of today's podcast. Bianca's back. And I'm not talking about her back injuries. I'm not talking about, you know, is she going to be healthy moving forward? Simply put, I want to enjoy the Bianca Andreescu we've seen these past two matches in Miami. It was a spectacular three-set win for her on Saturday over Amanda Anisimova. And all of us were wondering, given the fact that she was facing perhaps the hottest player in the women's game, right now in Garbine Muguruza, would Andrescu be able to hold up physically? Would she be able to bring the level she displayed in Indian Wells in 2019, at the U.S. Open in 2019, that top tier, I can beat anyone when I play my best level regardless of who they are, 
two matches in a row? And the answer to that question was a resounding yes. Bianca Andreescu, maybe the win of her career, given the context. I know she won a Grand Slam final. I know she's beaten Osaka. I know she's beaten Serena, but... I mean, her 3-6-6-3-6-2 victory over Garbine Muguruza, about as impressive as you can say, given the context of her win. And you look for Andrescu now. She's 6-3 and three in her last 52 weeks. She's played three events here in 2021, her first three events since the 2019 Shenzhen Finals. And, you know, for her at the Australian Open, wins her first round, loses to Sue C in straight sets. She then... Plays the Phillips Island Trophy event that second week in Australia. Beats Brangle, Diaz, and Begue. Beats Begue 7-6 in the third. Before losing a 7-5 in the third. Really fun match. Physical match against Marie Buscovin. Again, given those were her first competitive matches in a year, that's a really good first showing. For her to come here now, beat Martin Sova, beat Anisimova, and beat Garbine Muguruza... Am I ready to say she is fully back, folks? I don't know if I'm ready to say that. I want to see her do it three, four, five, six weeks in a row. I'd like to see her play a full, healthy season. But it's just a reminder that if healthy, Bianca Andreescu is in the conversation with Kenan, Sviantek, Osaka as already Grand Slam champions. But with every player in the mix at any event she plays, if healthy, she's capable of winning it. She's got that sort of talent. Her ability to attack off of both wings. Her, you know, you've never seen someone turn as fiercely into a backhand as you have Bianca Andreescu. She gets all of her momentum behind that shot. It allows her to drive the ball cross court, drive the ball down the line, hit the short angle. Of course, her forehand, she's able to do all of that as well. It's a big backswing, and that's the side that can get a little bit jammed by pace. But, of course, that's the side she mixes in the slice with. She hits this incredible squash on the run forehand passing shot that ultimately helps her get the break for three love in the third set against Muguruza. And, again, it was a 3-6 uh, six three, I believe six two victory for Andrescu. I'm not. I don't think I know in the round of sixteen to advance to the quarterfinals here in Miami. Uh, a fantastic showing for Andrescu, who you know first set only makes fifty nine percent of her first serves and allowed Muguruza to play plus one attacking tennis. It was Muguruza moving forward, hitting the swinging volleys, using her length, her ability to absorb and redirect pace to dictate and keeping. Andrescu Andrescu on her back foot, and Andrescu looked physically worn down in that first set. And you look for Muguruza, she was 20 of 25 on service points, right? So an 80% conversion rate. She didn't face a single break point. She only needed the one break she got of Andrescu to uh, take that first set. But that was the key. Is yes, Andrescu got broken once, but then she found her rhythm. And slowly but surely, that serve is what she held on to. Now, she gets broken once in the second set, but she makes 71% of her first serves go 18 of 25 on first serve points and you know holds Muguruza to 12 of 22 on serving points in the set, breaks her on her two break point chances, and just play that sort of aggressive attack 
play to win, not play, not to lose tennis that Bianca Andreescu is known for. And again, her variety, uh, the slice, the drop shot, the short angles, her willingness to move forward, hit the swinging volley, her willingness to come forward and hit the drop volley out of the air when she's approaching at the net. She can just do a little bit of everything. And that was her tactics in the second and third set. She says, you know what? I'm not winning this match if it's a baseline match. I'm not winning this match on my back foot. She got so aggressive, was always taking the initiative, the first one to change directions, to go down the line and follow it in. Again, her first serve per Percentage went up throughout the course of the match. As I mentioned, it goes from 59% in the first set, 71% in the second set, 77% in the third set. Whenever Muguruza had a second serve in this match, uh, Andrescu attacked it. She, you know, for the match, Muguruza goes 14 of 26, but I think those numbers a little bit inflated in the end because it really did feel like whenever Andrescu needed it, she could attack a Muguruza return down the home stretch. And, you know, again, uh, that's why Bianca Andrescu is so special because not only does she have that top tier power, but she's also got variety and she's not. Well, she is, though. She's a really, really good mover. Like, she can track down everything. And, you know, she's really good north-south. She anticipates really well also. She's good laterally. Not the most fluid. You know, she does a lot of spins and turns, but she anticipates really well on the court. And it makes for entertaining tennis. But, you know, it's not the most efficient movement. That being said, she's such a powerful athlete. Her first step is so explosive. You know, that's the word that comes to mind with Bianca Andreescu. Everything she does is explosive. And she hit through Garbin Muguruza, who had trouble dealing with the pace that Andrescu was throwing at her. And Andrescu did a really good job of, in particular, attacking the Muguruza forehand with pace and throwing these 30 feet in the air, high elevated topspin shots to that forehand side just to buy herself time and to dare Muguruza either A, hit it out of the air, which Muguruza did at times to success, or B, let that ball drop, get the point back to neutral, and watch what I can do now. And again, Given Muguruza's record on the year, I think she's what? You look right now, Tennis Abstract's yearly ELO rating. She was 18-3, and three, I think, coming into the match. So now she's 18-4. and four. I mean, considering how few matches Andrescu has played over the past two seasons, this is the stellar result. This is the reminder. Hey, if she's healthy and it's a, you know— she can win any match she plays. Certainly, that's what she just did against Muguruza. Now, you know, for all of us, we were so looking forward to that Muguruza. I should say, I was so looking forward to Muguruza Osaka potentially as a semifinal. Andrescu's got a tricky one against Sarah Cerebas Tormo because if you've got dead legs, the last person you want to play is Sarah Cerebas Tormo, who knocks off Jabour in three sets and will get there momentarily. But, I mean, what a result for Bianca Andrescu, who again now has the opportunity uh, to play, uh, I believe it's Cerebez Tormo here in the quarterfinal round. Now, I believe she gets a day off, and in fact, she does, and that's going to be huge for Andrescu. But even with one day off, she's played so such physical matches these past two matches. Cerebez Tormo is going to throw everything at her, but... This is a fantastic result for Bianca Andreescu, who, again, advances uh, to the quarterfinals. And by the way, you look for Bianca Andreescu, you know, she still has a really limited sample size of matches. And just to make sure, yeah, it is Andreescu versus Cerebus Tormo. But for Bianca Andreescu, in terms of, you know, the WTA premier level matches she's played in her career— 
Here's a crazy stat for you. She's 22-6 and six overall. She's got the Indian Wells title. She made the Miami round of 16 in 2019. Toronto title in 2019. Beijing quarterfinals. Now this Miami event. So this is her what? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eighth uh, premier level event, 1,000 level event. She's 22-6 and six at 1,000 level events. They're all on hard courts, which is evidently her best surface, although we still haven't really seen uh, her on the non-hard court in 1,000-level in events. But the numbers speak for themselves. The eye test speaks for themselves. Bianca's back, folks, and that's a great thing for all of us fans in the tennis world. That was one of the big results, though, again, five of these eight uh, round of 16 matches go uh, the distance, going three sets. Just quickly on Andrescu's opponent, Sarah Cerebes Tormo, who I talked about a little bit on part one of this show. 6-4-0-6-6-1 victory over Own Jabor. She made 72% of her first serves now. Only won 55% of those points, 52% of her second serve points, saved five of the 10 break points she faced. She only had six break chances, but converted five of them. You know, Jabour kind of had dead legs come the end of this match, and that's a byproduct of her long th- physical three-set match she played the round before against Kennan. But, I mean, look, Sarah Cerebus Tormo makes her matches track meets, and her backhand slice breaks your rhythm, and she's going to move the ball around the court really well with her forehand. And it's just, she puts, excuse me, so many balls on the court. And by the way, October 8th is the day of the WTA Tour. It's October 8th, 93 for Muguruza, October 8th, 96 for Sarah Cerebes Tormo, who's 28-10 and 10 now. In her last 52 matches, or last 52 weeks, excuse me, she's gotten wins over players like Jabour, Rabakina, Brady, and Para this week. She's beaten Buzkova and Bouchard in her Guadalajara. You know, you look for her overall now. She's won, let's see, 8 plus 4 is 12 of her last 13 matches. You know, uh, she's now up to a new live ranking inside the top 50 new career high of number 47 uh 48 for the 24 year old Spaniard who again just plays high percentage tennis puts so many balls in the court she clearly just kind of you know those first few games were really really close in the third set but Cerebus Tormo ended up winning them all and that kind of just broke Jabour's will down the home stretch of that third set but I mean, Sarah Cerebus Tormo is a scrapper. And I mean, if your path to the quarterfinals is Jabour, Rabakina, Brady, and Para, and you win three set matches in all four of those matches, and you're coming off of a Guadalajara final uh, title and a Monterey semifinal the two weeks before, you're as fit as they come on tour. And that's how you would describe Sarah Cerebus Tormo. She's a top-notch, top-15 mover on tour. Again, that forehand is sneaky explosive. That backhand is just going to give her opponents fits, prevent them from finding rhythm. A deserved quarterfinalist. And again, sometimes the hidden gems are right in front of you. If you look at the numbers, as I mentioned, 28 and 10 now in her last 52, you look for her in terms of where she's at in the uh, ELO ratings. She's number 47 via the ELO rating in terms of yearly ELO rating, Sarah Cerebus Tormo number 20. She's been a top 30 player this year, folks. I mean, again, the numbers speak for themselves. 11-3 and three on the year, 28-10 and 10 in her last 52. I still think clay court's going to be her best surface, and that's why her getting this many points on hard courts is a scary thought for the rest of the tour. Fantastic victory for her. 
Fantastic victory for Alina Svitolina, who you look at the stats in this match. Svitolina, 33.3% of her first serves going in that first set, which she loses 6-2. So again, she's 10 of 30 on first serves. She's then 17 of 33 in set number 2, 16 of 32 in set number 3. But she actually won 72% of her first serve points in this match. So yes, she only made 45% of them. But she had to be that aggressive because anything she sat up as a floater or even just a neutral serve to Petra Kvitova, Kvitova was smacking away as a winner. And it's a credit to Svitolina for being as aggressive as she was with her return of serve, being so focused on that first shot in the rally. Because again, Kvitova is trying to play five to six shot rally. She's not trying to play that 12 or 10 to 20 shot rally where Svitolina thrives in. And Svitolina made this match physical. Svitolina made Kvitova earn everything, track down that extra ball, even when it didn't pay off in that rally, it paid dividends later on in the match. And I made this rant in the last podcast, but Alina Svitolina is as consistent as they come. She's won about 70% of her matches during the prime of her career. That's not the elite of the elite, but that's the very good of the very good. That's a top 10 player, folks. And that's what Alina Svitolina is. Her ceiling is not the best of the best, but her floor Match by match, she's a fighter. She's a scrapper. She finds a way. Sometimes she doesn't have the biggest weapon, but she is a top-tier athlete, and she can do a little bit of everything. And, you know, again, that worked for her today through enough variety, enough different looks at Kvitova to ultimately escape with a 2-6, uh, 7-5, victory. And by the way, sneakily, Svitolina, 22-8 in her last 52. Not too bad. Wins over Rogers, Alexandrova, and Kvitova in this event. Uh, two of the three matches in three sets. That's a really good gauntlet for Svitolina. She, right now in the live rankings, I believe is the number five player in the world. I know her ceiling, you might think people below her, Andrescu, Muguruza, you might even think Azarenka, Jennifer Brady, Iga Svantec. You want to say they have higher ceilings than her in one match? That's your prerogative. I like Svitolina. She's the toughest out in women's tennis, not named Simona Halep. Another fantastic result for her. Fantastic event here in Miami. The match of the day on the women's side belonged to Sakari Pagula. Sakari, I think, fought off six match points to take a 6-4, 2-6, 6 victory, 8-6 in the breaker over just Pagula. Just a reminder, Maria Sakari, 22-10 in her last 52 quarterfinals at the Western Southern. Round of 16 at the U.S. Open. Third round at Roland Garros. Semifinals, Ostrava. Semifinals, Abu Dhabi. Semifinals, Australian Open warm-up. Quarterfinals, Doha. Now quarterfinals in Miami top 20 player and you look at the elo rankings i believe you look for she is someone who is more valued by elo than she is in the actual rankings maria sakari number 17 according to broad elo by the yearly elo she's number 25 in the rankings right now she's number 23 in my opinion that broader elo is correct she's been a top 20 player she uh again just physically her movement has thrived in these slow conditions she tracked down so many extra balls against Jess Pagula today and you look for Sakari in the match only made you know 57 percent of her first serves but you know for both of these players for Sakari she saved 13 of 19 break points for Pagula 
8 of 13. Neither of them eclipsed 37% one on their second serve points. They were both around two-thirds uh, of their first serve points one. This match was just a battle through and through. Pegula, much more linear, much more line drive, attacking sort of tennis. Sakari threw in slice. She was so great on the run in this match. She got Pegula stretched to the outer thirds. This was just really fun tennis. And again, Maria Sakari, as good of an athlete as you're going to find in the women's game. She's got a battle on her hands now. She's got Osaka. That's a really tough test for anyone. And, you know, obviously that's a matchup we've seen uh, in the past and we've seen Osaka have success in. But, you know, if anyone's got the athleticism to track down that first strike from Osaka, it's Maria Sakari. The question is, what can she do to get Osaka on her back foot? Uh, that'll be tough, but ultimately, again, great result for a Maria Sakari. I suppose that I should just go the full way now. The fifth, third set match, Ashley Barty, 6-1, 1-6, over Vika Azarenka. I freaking love watching Barty play. She is the fastest player, in, in my opinion, in the women's game. And, you know, again, she baits you into hitting to the open space she provides on the do side of the court so she can hit her on the run forehand, open up everything she wants to do from there. That backhand slice lulls you to sleep, and then she drives backhand down the line. And in this match, you know, you look for her. She made two-thirds of her first serves, won 65% of those points, saved seven of ten break point chances uh, for Azarenka. Uh, converted on five of her 12 own break point chances one about uh, in this match I think it's like 48% of her return points 57% of her service points you know this was a really close match 85 total points for Barty 77 for Azarenka a 52 and a half 47 and a half split and there were a lot of close games in this match and there were certainly again Vika had you know uh, it's a credit to Barty who just kept tracking down ball after ball and hitting that extended backhand slice when stretched far wide off the ad side of the court, but then tracking down that on-the-run forehand, going deep cross, going down the line to keep Vika honest, not being afraid to hit through her backhand, and just, again, not allowing Vika to strike the ball cleanly you know, with routine. She changed direction, never hit the ball in the same direction more than two or three times in a row, and just... Threw a little bit of everything at Vika, broke her rhythm and made the match physical. And again, it was a really high level of tennis. Ashley Barty may not be the number one player in the world right now, but she is certainly a top 10, in my opinion, a top five player in the world because she can do it on every surface. She can has the athleticism to compete against any opponent. and She has the game to break down any opponent as well. So fantastic victory for her. Vika kind of ran out of steam down the stretch, a little bit banged up. But again, she's the real deal, folks. She's here to stay. Overall, what a round of 16 we had, and that leads to just spectacular quarterfinal matches. Barty Sabalenka. Sabalenka's got the power to disrupt everything Barty wants to do, but Barty's got the skill set to keep Sabalenka uncomfortable. Svitolina Sevastova should be a really physical match as well. Those are your two women's quarterfinals tomorrow. Those should be really, really fun. I think Svitolina wins. I expect that Sabalenka-Barty match to go three. If locked in, Sabalenka's got the firepower to win that match, but that should be a really, really fun one. And again, every women's draw has delivered thus far this season. Miami, far from the exception. Uh, Miami, I should say, not 
going to play the exception. They are also delivering. And I butchered that metaphor. It's been really fun action in Miami thus far. Let's move now to the men's side, and it was the back half of the round of 32 on Monday. We only had one three-set match on the day. Tsitsipas, 6-3-3-6-6-1 over Kei Nishikori. Nishikori just didn't quite have the legs, excuse me, to compete with Tsitsipas come the third set. Tsitsipas got an early break, kind of ran away with it. You know, Rublev, 2-1 and one win over Fucevic. He's beaten him at three straight events. Schwartzman, 1-4 over Manorino. Right when you think Manorino is going to win, Schwartzman takes, you know, that's when he loses the match. Schwartzman, the slow, high-bouncing courts, played perfect for him. He's looked great. You had Sinego ending the run of Daniel Galan, 7-6-6-3. And shout-out to Lorenzo Sinego. We were all wondering, was that title he won at the end of last season a fluke? He's followed it up really well of late. Marin Cilic wins three matches in a tournament for the first time since 2019. He ends the run of talented young Lorenzo Musetti, 6-3-6-4. Cilic, as I mentioned on the last podcast, very very much benefiting from the speed of these courts. He's certainly lost a, a half step, if not a full step, maybe even a step and a half movement-wise, and certainly that means he can't rip through the ball like he did in his prime, but the court speed here has allowed him that extra half second to track down the ball, and you know Lorenzo Musetti doesn't hit through the court as much as he would like yet with his forehand. When that forehand floated, Chilich attacked. It's a really high level from Marin Cilic, who again advances in straight sets three and four. Milos Raonic has quietly, I don't think, dropped a set in this event. Another great win for him, four and five over Hugo Umber. And, you know, again, he hits that kick serve, the big serve, with how much time he has given the high bounce. He is on top of the net by the time you're hitting your return. And, you know, he's six foot five, six foot six. If he's on top of the net, what are you going to do to pass him? Hit a return lob? Yeah, good luck doing that off of a 136 mile per hour bullet. Like, again, good luck. If you get your one break, you've got a chance. But even then, he's hitting that slice low. He's got time to run around his forehand. He just dominated. You know, he just was so efficient today, four and five, against Ugo Umber. The two matches I want to talk about quickly are the two players, I should say. Ubi, Hubi Hercots. Every time you think Hubi is, you know, you count him out or you think, all right, you know what, he just doesn't have it. He comes through with a run like he has here in Miami. You look for Hercots and what he's been able to accomplish is beats Kudla in his first run match. Now knocks off Shapovalov, 6-3-7-6. You know, in both of his matches here this week, he's won over 80% of his first serve points in his match today against Shapovalov. He goes 53 of 69 overall on service points to win 77% of them for the match now. You know, neither guy won over 30% of their return points, but Hubi saved all three break points he faced. He converted the one break he needed in the first set, got the mini break he needed to go up 7-6 in the tiebreaker. That's good enough, folks. And, you know, again, he's everything you want physically in your modern tennis player, 6'4", 6'5", 6'6", fluid athlete around the court, can drive through the ball, can play with topspin, big serve, uh, has good hands at the net. The question is, what does he want to be? Match in, match out. And you look at some of his last losses, he loses to guys like Radu Elbot, Stefano Trevaglia, respectfully, Mikhail Yimmer, a guy he's got to beat in a three out of five set match, particularly when he's up two sets uh, to one. 
But then, you know, he also ends up beating a guy like Shapovalov, uh, I think, a couple of times. And he's beaten an Andre Rublev in Rome. And, you know, again, he, he seems to play Evan Diego Schwartzman in Rome. He played him and lost in three sets. He played that match really tight. And he just seems to play everyone close because he can do a little bit of everything. And he's 7-13 and 13 in his last 52 matches. And he's just over 500 for his career in ATP-level matches. And I'm telling you, as soon as he figures out what plan A is for him, he's going to be a stable, con- uh, a stable presence in the top 25. He's got that many things that work for him. He just was able, with his size, to absorb things Shapovalov threw at him, track down those extra balls in the tiebreaker to just put a little pressure on Shapovalov. Again, it was one break of serve in this match, separating the two players. One break, one tiebreaker. And I continue to say, even though he's lost close matches, if you watch Denis Shapovalov, he looks like a improved, both physically, mentally, the choices he's making, his shots, and what he's capable of doing. He looks improved. I'm telling you, there's going to be a big breakthrough run at a Masters event on the clay, maybe even a quarterfinal appearance for him at the French Open. It's not, it shouldn't surprise any of you because the level is there. The re- results just haven't been. But what a fantastic result for Hoopy Hercots. And then what a fantastic result from Sebastian Corda, who ends the run of Aslan Karat 7. I did a big breakdown of Corda on our Patreon Match of the Day segment. If you want to hear more about Sebastian Corda and his matchup tomorrow with Diego Schwartzman, go become a Patreon subscriber now. Uh, but of course, for Sebastian Corda, you know, Karatsev kind of ran out of legs. You could just tell he didn't have it. And so Corda 3-0. and And that's not to diminish this win for Sebastian Corda, who's into the first round of 16 at a Masters event in his uh, into his first Masters round of 16 of his career. And, you know, he was 18 of 21 on first serve points and 31 of 42 overall for a 74% conversion rate. And he won 54% of his return points in this match. He's just dominated by every facet. And, you know, Karatsev likes to hit big kick serves and the court of backhand is just beautifully made for these courts to absorb a big kick serve and redirect that return either down the line or cross court. And it was all working for him today. And again, his movement continues to get better. He's got weapons on both wings, truly might have a top 10 backhand already on tour and flashes to perhaps one day have the best backhand in men's tennis or certainly right in the conversation with the Zverevs and the Medvedevs of the world. He was fantastic today, and again, to follow up the three-set win over Fognini, probably the highest-ranked win of his career with this win today over the hottest player in men's tennis in Aslan Karatsev, even if it was a diminished Karatsev, it's a credit to his preparation, it's a credit to his mentality that he's able to focus, drive through, and ultimately get over the finish line, 6-3, 6-love, and I think Karatsev even might have had a game point or like a 30-love lead in his love five service game in that second set, and quarter was like, no, 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 no. I'm finishing this match right now. He gets the job done. Ultimately, again, uh, it's Korda 6-3-6-Love advancing to the round of 16. And now we've got round of 16 matches on hands for us here on Tuesday. You look across the board. It's a really fun slate of men's and women's matches. I mentioned it, only the two semifinals. It's going to be Barty taking on Sabalenka. Uh, I'm going to try and quickly look up that career head-to-head as I'm talking 
to all of you. It's also going to be Svitolina taking on uh, Sastovich, I believe. Or is it Sastovich? Am I, am I screwing up there? Who does Svitolina play tomorrow? Let's see. Svitolina uh, plays. There's so many matches, folks. It's not Sastovich. Sevastova. Excuse me. I got the initials right. She plays Sevastova tomorrow. And then it's Barty uh, taking on uh, Sabalenka. You look here. I have the career head-to-head in front of me for Ashley Barty in her career. Has she played Arena Sabalenka? The answer to that question is yes. They've played five times. Sabalenka, 3-2 head-to-head lead. All of them have been on hard courts. Only one of the matches went three sets. Sabalenka's won three of the last four. They haven't played since 2019 in Wuhan, where Sabalenka was a 7-5-6-4 winner. Um... But she's got that sort of firepower to just fire serves into that Barty backhand and play plus one tennis. I do sort of lean Sabalenka in three sets tomorrow. But, of course, I will always pick Sabalenka. I'm captivated by her talent. I think Svitolina wins as well. She's just locked in. Sevastova is going to take advantage of the opportunity to dictate and hit a couple of big forehands. But I think Svitolina's just got the discipline, the patience, and the athleticism to track down everything Sevastova throws at her. So give me Svitolina there. In terms of... Of your men's matches, Medvedev versus Tiafo. That's a U.S. Open rematch. Medvedev beat him in straight sets. He was cramping in his last match. Tiafo has played a bunch of three-set matches exclusively, I think, three-set matches here in Miami. So those are two guys who are hurting. In that case, you go with the guy with the bigger serve, and that's Daniil Medvedev. Speaking of big serves, John Isner, champion here in 2018, finalist in 2019, continues to just Again, high bouncing courts. He's on top of the net before you know it. It fits him like a hand in a glove. He's got Bautista Gut tomorrow, and that's going to be a fun match because certainly, again, Isner's going to have chances to attack, but Bautista Gut's going to make a ton of balls. That one's sure to get physical. Rublev Chilich tomorrow. You lean Rublev just because can Chilich handle that pace anymore? We'll find out. You know, Tsitsipas Senego, fun. Korda Schwartzman broke down on depth at Patreon, so not going to do that again, but. You know, that's, you know, Corda's got the biggest weapons on the court and these slow, high-bouncing high courts. You know, he hits big kick serves into the Diego Schwartzman body and then hits through the ball. That's very much a match. Corda can pull off the upset. I think he's plus 130, according to odds makers. So that's a tasty one. Hercats has the wingspan, has the return skills, has the first serve to make Milos Raonic uncomfortable. Can he do that tomorrow? The Raonic has looked so good. That's a big question for it's Bublik. Bublik going to throw in drop shots, going to throw in big serves, challenge Fritz's movement. But of course, if he's not disciplined, Fritz is going to be firing serves at him and plus one balls. That has the potential to be a big hitting tiebreaker sort of match. And then Rusevori versus Sinner. That's my match of the day on the men's side. I mean, that's like your textbook Alex Gruskin. Two next geners. Big hitters from the baseline, but both consistent as well. How much does Rusevori have in the tank after three set wins over Zverev, over Mikhail Yimmer? That's a great question, but Yannick Sinner probably played the most physical match of the tournament in his three set round of 32 win over Karen Hatchinov. So both of these guys have had a day off, but certainly both of them have been tested physically. 
again, this is a rematch, I think, of a challenger, Numea challenger quarterfinal they played in 2020. Rusevori won the match. The heavy spin of Sinner kind of is going to allow Rusevori to bunt down and drive through the ball. He can use Sinner's uh, spin and just focus on his drive and his accuracy when he's hitting his ground strokes. It's a really fun matchup. think it could go three. Probably lean Sinner, but again— Fun tennis up and down the board in Miami. And, of course, there are challenger matches going on, a few college matches here and there throughout the day. We talk about all of that on our Great Shot podcast feed, the College Tennis Podcast coming out on Tuesday, the Challenger Podcast, I believe, scheduled for Thursday. So be on the lookout for those. And, of course, if you have missed anything that has happened out in the tennis world, you can catch up on it all on our website, CrackedRackets.com. You need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at Great Shot Pod. Shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Fleetner and Daniel Westoff, for the about any job they do day in, day out. Shout out as well to our friend at Midwest Sports. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15 to get 15% off your order. But with that in mind, for our wonderful super producers, Fleeger and Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. With that, you should be all caught up on all of the happenings in Miami. Still have a few more days to go. We hope you'll follow all of the action with us here at Cracked Racket. So for now, as we always say, that's the break, and we'll see you all next time. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.